Hey, everybody. Welcome to Listen Money Matters. Not having money is the root of all evil. My name is Thomas, and I'm here, as always, with Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and uh, what are you drinking this morning? Uh, good, good, man. I, I'm actually just drinking water. It's a little early and, and nursing a slight Boring. hangover. Boring. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Now, now I get that. Damn. <laughs> Why? What are you drinking, Thomas? <laughs> the last the tiny drop of my coffee. That That's and, still kind and of And then water. <laughs> but I still have coffee, so I can say I'm drinking coffee. Mm. Your fancy mug. Ah, one little tiny. This is not that fancy. It's got a chip in it. Oh, man. I have fancier mugs, but they're all smaller. I have a really cool one. It's like it's like a Mad Hatter one from Disneyland. It's got like a plate like glued to the bottom of it. It's pretty <laughs> cool. It's pretty cool. Uh, anyway, yeah, so today's catchphrase was not having money is the root of all evil. Kind of true sometimes. Hmm. Um, anyway, that comes from Vito Caffarelli. And if you want to have your catchphrase read on the show, e- or tweet it to us over at Money Matters Man on Twitter. We will read your catchphrases on the show no matter how offensive they are. Just kidding. There's a little asterisk on that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, until they breach super too offensive. and Super ultra offensive. Yeah. You know, I've told you about my, my buffer wake-up system, right? We, I think we talked about that in the second episode. Mm-hmm. My original idea, instead of paying people, uh, my original idea was to like, tweet out something super offensive. Like to get yourself landed in jail or something? <laughs> that I was like, you know what? If like there's a tech glitch, I don't I don't want like the internet to hate me. <laughs> so I just decided to go with money. That, that'll wake you up. I will blow up my entire internet brand that took me four years to build in one morning because I'm an asshole. <laughs> I just tweet something terrible like, I enjoy using Internet Explorer. Shots fired. I can't be friends with you anymore now. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, hey, on today's episode, we have Johnny Horta back on the show. We're going to be talking about, uh, what are we talking about, Johnny? Taxes? Uh, Yeah, we're going to talk about the side hustle and uh, taxes and and how your side hustle and your business making out there, uh, how you can pay taxes on it or not. So small business, side hustle, entrepreneurial taxes kind of thing, right? Yep, exactly. Cool, cool. All right, Andrew. Hey, I got some questions written down, but uh, they might it, be a little. So you want me to just jump into here? Because I, you know, I have a bunch. But you know, Johnny, let's uh, let's kind of like set the stage here. So, what sort of taxes? Like, what sort of differences do you face as somebody running, say, a sole proprietorship, uh, in like in comparison to somebody who's just an employee and just pays income tax? So the the main difference is uh, from being a self-employed or having a, a side hustle is uh, obviously the, the obvious. You get to make your own hours and that sort of thing. But when it comes to an income standpoint, uh, if you're an employee of a business, there's a lot less write-offs that you can have as an employee than if you had your own small business. So for instance, you know if you're uh, an employee of a business, you really only can write off uh, like they're unreimbursed. Uh, employee expenses. So if you're if you use your car, or use your cell phone, and your employer doesn't reimburse that, you can write those off. But the only problem is if you don't have uh, an itemized deduction sheet or a Schedule A, then you can't write those off. You know, so you just have to to make do with what you have there. So that's really the the main difference. And if you you know if you're a, a, a self employed guy, a sole proprietorship, LLC, however you want to do it, then you can write off those taxes on. Uh, it's called a Schedule C, but we'll get into that here right now. Okay, but you also have to pay more taxes, right? 
Right. So your gross income, I mean, uh, if you have a side hustle, your tax rate is it's just going to be added to your gross income that you have yeah. at your regular job. Uh, but in addition to that, you also have to pay self-employment taxes, both sides, right. only because so self-employment taxes are the FICA taxes, which is Social Security and Medicare. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, if you're an employee of a business, you see FICA taxes, Social Security, Medicare taxes coming out of your paycheck. And it's uh, 7.65 percent. Uh, of your actual uh, pay, I guess you could say the, but your employer pays the other half. So if you're self-employed, right. you now have mm. to pay both halves. So you're paying 15.3 percent in addition to your regular tax rate uh, that you're going to pay on your gross income. You get a, a deduction right. or an adjustment for the employer half, but it's still uh, another 7.65 percent hit. Yeah, and so Andrew and I were just talking in uh, my my part two of this financial life. Um, where I, I end up paying about 40% in, of my income in taxes because of all that self-employment stuff and then add it on to income. So it's a bit, it's a bit more taxation than I've faced with it as an employee. Yeah, when you're, when you're a, a self-employed guy, there is a lot more tax problems or liabilities, issues for you to for you to worry about, but then that's where you get creative. That's where you have, uh, you know, IRAs and traditional IRAs and SEPs and simples and, and all sorts mm. of other, you know, things to lower your taxable income. So you just get a little bit creative. Yeah. So actually, let's talk about that because so uh, just like backstory a little bit, I've been running my blog since uh, 2010. I didn't start making like full time income on it until like right at the tail end of 2012. So 2013 was my first year as like a legitimate entrepreneur like making my full-time income off that um i think in, the, in 20, 2013 i had a little bit of employee income uh, on a campus job but most of it was through my business and that year i uh, didn't know i had to do quarterly and quarterly taxes and i also didn't know that i was adding a self-employment tax on top of a uh, income tax i thought it was just self-employment tax so i was terrible about calculating my actual tax burden so um, the end of the year, I was advised to start a simple IRA to reduce, reduce my taxable income. So what is the difference between a simple IRA and maybe other options that people take, like traditional IRAs, Roths, and uh, I think I'd heard of another one called like a SEP, right? Yeah, so uh, a simple IRA is just an IRA just like you have that you in 2014 you can uh, defer uh, partial partial of your gross income up to twelve thousand okay. dollars, right? And in twenty fifteen, it's going to be up to twelve thousand five hundred. So that's kind of for self employed guys, so they can reduce the amount of their income as well as save a little bit for retirement. And uh, their financial advisor would be able to set them up with that. Uh, a SEP IRA is kind of one step above a simple. It's it's uh, you can put a little bit more than it's it's really twenty percent of net self employment income. Mm. Um, so and then the it's up to fifty two thousand dollars in twenty fourteen and fifty three thousand dollars in twenty fifteen. So you have to have a pretty big self uh, employment business in order to take the full deduction. But but it is uh, it is up there. So why is the simple so much more restrictive? Is there some advantage to it? Uh, I'm I'm not really sure on that. Uh, I'm not a financial advisor, I guess you could say. So I mean, whoever whoever sets that up would be able to take a look at their the listener's personal situation and, and let them know what's better for them. Okay. So, but the, so I guess the main uh, benefit to doing like a simple is that your limit is higher than with a, certainly with a Roth. Is it higher than with the traditional 
Yeah, so a traditional and a Roth are uh, a traditional is pre-tax, so you so you adjust it as well on your on your ten forty, and that's fifty five hundred as well as a Roth is post-tax and it's fifty five hundred as well. So there are some okay. benefits out there for for pre-tax contributions. So if I'm if I'm a side hustle guy or if I'm an entrepreneur self-employed, then it makes a lot more sense for me to have a simple uh, if if my goal is to save for retirement because I can sock away a lot more more than double every year and also knock that off of my uh, taxable income this year. Yeah, I would really, uh, you know, for side hustle people, people who have regular jobs and regular 401ks, I mean, definitely check with, with your accountant and your, your financial advisor only because there's, there's certain caps that, that they can have for tax-deferred income. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so I wouldn't want to steer somebody wrong and say like, yeah, you can put up to $53,000 and it's not the case <laughs> in their particular circumstance. So disclaimer there. Okay, so there's a di- there's a difference between where you're fully self-employed and when you just have a kind of a side income and you want to do the research for yourself to figure out where you fall basically. Yes, exactly. Okay, cool, cool. All right, Andrew. Yeah, I I'm kind of uh like I was dwelling on <laughs> that, I guess a little bit because that that's where I am and I think that's where most people will start is right. that they have their full-time thing and that they're trying to start something on the side. Uh like, I, I'm I, I need some help like understanding like what like what you could do so it would be advantageous. You know, I I know when I first started listing my matters, I was probably spending a lot of money buying software and stuff. Like, how do you uh, not get penalized for having a side hustle while you have a full time gig? So the the first thing is you know you have your full time job, so your W two and your gross income is going to be there. Your side hustle job is is really going to be however you structure it legally so so going forward some people might not even have a a sole proprietorship and not even know it (laughs) so the you know there's a few different business types there's a sole proprietorship an llc an s corp a a c corp a partnership so it just kind of depends on everybody's circumstance so if you're one person or then you'll have either a sole proprietorship or an s corp if you're two people or, or more, then you can have an S-Corp or a partnership or a C-Corp. So uh, I think for most people, it's, you know, there may be one, one person have a, a landscaping business. I have a tax business as well as a regular job. Andrew has Listen Money Matters. Mm. So uh, uh, an LLC sole proprietorship is probably the majority of the people, unless they take it one step further with an S-Corp. Uh, on that note. Because I know that there's like this whole double taxation thing, but you have advantages if you're like a, an, an S corp or a C corp. And I have, so I pay two people and I actually pay three people. And, you know, it's me and my wife, I guess, who, who are the owners. Uh, what do you think would make sense for us? And, and especially if we want to grow it to be, you know, bigger, like maybe more people down the road. So really, the since you have two people, um, you you can be you may be able to be qualified as what's called a joint husband and wife joint venture, which basically says that you're kind of uh, a partnership without the real partnership. I guess you can say so. You'll you'll both split the income and the expenses on a Schedule C uh, on your personal tax return, and then the. Uh, but if you decide to be a regular partnership, then you'd have to go to 1065 and then get issued K-1s, and that's a, that's a bigger animal to tackle. Is there a reason I should be like an LLC over an S-Corp or a C-Corp? Or, or going down that road, is it just so much complication for no reason? Well, it, it, 
it really depends on an LLC is going to give you state legal protection from your personal assets, care of your business assets. So that's kind of a, a state thing. Uh, for tax purposes, you're really there's really only a few options whether you're going to be uh, a sole proprietorship or uh, a partnership or an, an S corp or a C corp, but that's really reserved for the big guys. Gotcha. Okay. So I have a, you know I have some nitty gritty questions, but one of the things that I always you know was frustrated with when I was figuring all this stuff out was. I had you know listened to podcasts, I'd read blog posts, read books and stuff, and like gain all this knowledge about taxes, about how to structure things, but I never like knew where can I go to have someone tell me exactly what I should do. And I think a lot of people, you know, possibly even listening to this right now, maybe in the same situation, were like, I'm learning stuff, that's cool, but I don't know like exactly what I should do, and I kind of wish I did, or I kind of wish I could, I knew how to go to somebody. So maybe we could like. Give somebody the start to a path to, to getting this set up for themselves. Like, is there a person they should talk to? Is like, are they gonna have to pay a ton of money if they go talk to an accountant just to ask for advice? Like, where can someone just start to actually start taking action on this? Um, I guess it it really depends on the complexity of their situation. But I mean, an accountant's a good a good start. I mean, mm-hmm. you can probably just be like, hey, can I, you know, take an hour of your time and pay them whatever their hourly rate hourly wages is kind okay. of a, a consultant based, uh, a tax attorney, a regular attorney. You know, um, uh, there's another really not well known uh, distinction out there. It's called an enrolled agent. Basically, mm-hmm. those are people that are just certified in taxes. That's kind of all that they do. Mm-hmm. And their their rates are usually less than than the amount of a CPA or an accountant. So an enrolled okay. agent, a attorney or an accountant is really going to be able to tell you exactly what you need to do in your personal situation. And just so ask them for like a specific amount of time. Because I know one of the things like everyone's, you know, in the business world, you should go talk to a lawyer and everything. And I kind of had this like horror scenario in my head where the lawyer charges like 200 bucks an hour. <laughs> takes like five hours to look at my situation. And then I'm like, just can't do it. So I like your suggestion about like asking, can I have an hour to go over these things? Yeah, not everybody's as nice as us and give a bunch of information <laughs> for free all the time. So, uh, and, and knowledge is power and power is money. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what what okay, kind of so. stuff would you advise on, Johnny? What do you mean what I would advise on? Like, so, I, I mean, because I, I don't even know if I understand necessarily the, the line between accounting and taxes. And, you know, so I would say, like, where, like, if, if I was like, you know, Johnny's here. He could advise me. Like, what could you advise me on if I was so starting I, out? So I'm basically just like a like a tax preparer. So I have all this knowledge. I do have an accounting degree. I'm I'm not a CPA. So for for anybody out there, um, I, I don't have that distinction. I hope to one day do become a CPA. That's that's in my near future. The so I I can help. Uh, do some things, prepare taxes uh, for for a lot of different entities. You know, say, hey, you should probably do this or probably do that. But like I said, everybody's situation is different, and and we'd have to have a a real in depth discussion in order to give give some uh, good advice out there. Okay, cool. So uh, so I want to take this into like a, a more detailed, like specific case. Um, so I've read about this thing for like cars, like the standard mileage deduction, where you can deduct. I think it's like 56 cents of every mile you log for business purposes uh, in a car that you own for business, or I guess a car, and you can take that. Um, so what if you're me, 
and you're like, I'm going to do the standard mileage deduction. And then you're driving down the road one day and your shocks break. <laughs> and then you take your car to the shop and the dude's like, uh, yo, man, you got to get four new tires. You need new belts in your engine, obviously new shocks and struts on both sides. So it's balanced and it's going to run you 1500 bucks. Uh, and I use my car, you know, not incredibly, not all for business, but for partly business. And so if I'm already going to take that standard mileage deduction, am I able to do anything to like offset the cost of those repairs? Or am I kind of just like got to eat that and then take my standard and that's it? I I think it kind of depends on which way you want to go with it. I mean, mm-hmm. how how are you going to prove that all of those repairs were strictly business related when you have a personal vehicle that you're that you're doing it? Oh, I, yeah. I mean, you're, you're already taking depreciation and then. You know, if we say, but if it was a, if it was a, a car that you actually, you know, uh, used for business the whole time, I mean, there, there's a chance dependent on, you know, your depreciation and, and all sorts of so different aspects of it. So I, like, I, I hate to keep saying like, Hey, it depends, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. it, it, you know, without knowing, you know, knowing you know, less than 1% of the story, it's, it's really hard to say, but Okay, so but if I'm using if my car is like mainly for personal, but I use it for business occasionally, then really I should just stick with my standard mileage that I log for business, and that's it. Yeah, that that'd be that'd be your safest spot, uh, as well as having uh, you make sure you have your mileage logs. And I went to here and from here because yeah, you know you always want to document, 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 especially if the IRS comes knocking one day and they're like, "You own a podcast. You sit at a desk in your house. Why are you driving?" Yeah, that was actually so. exactly what I thought. <laughs> Man, he's like, I'll use my car for my business. I'm like, that's a crock of shit. <laughs> no, but there, well, there's a there's the weekly like networking like entrepreneurs meeting in Des Moines that I drive down to. So that's like half an hour, forty five minutes of driving to get to it. But you know, it's like part of the business is building relationships and all that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, a yeah, lot of what I can do. Right, right. Yeah, we totally understand. So, I mean, just make sure that <laughs> that you documented that that drive to and from, and you know, yeah, as as much as you can. So, if and and when they do come a knock in, you you be like, "Yep, I went here. This is what I did." Yeah, I've got like this business trip tracker iPhone app that I just oh, nice log everything into. So, which I didn't do before last year, and I'm so happy I did. Because based on the standard deduction, I'll be able to deduct like twelve hundred bucks from my income, which is not too shabby all right uh, i i I got something so i was thinking and and a few listeners have uh written in and i imagine for every email there's quite a few people who are just doing it didn't write in Uh, they listened to the episode on selling on amazon and there are quite a few people who actually just picked this up uh are selling books like going to like uh whatever garage sales whatever and they're actually making like decent amount of money like pretty quickly so I, i i'm pretty impressed i actually might play with it myself you know so imagine you were doing this and you're making five hundred dollars a month um is there a way you know and maybe you're doing it out of your home office or you have to drive to the whatever things like is it is it possible for you to write off the com- like the complete income that you have in the business in some fashion so you're like literally making five hundred dollars but not paying taxes on it so in in a business, the the goal is to really make profit, right? So what's the the definition of a profit? A profit is basically the money that you make minus the money that you expensed out. So the profit is really 
what you pay taxes on essentially. So, so if they're going out there and they're, they're buying inventory and, and you know, they're, they're purchasing advertising or, or anything like that. And I'm, I'm not familiar with, with the Amazon, you know, marketplace structure. So I don't know how Amazon, you know, hires these people or what, but, but, but if for somebody that was just, you know, they bought, I don't know, they were, they, they bought something, a computer from a, from a, I don't know, a retailer or something. And then they, they resold it and they bought it at cost or, and they resold it somehow. So, so they're a t-shirt seller. T-shirt seller is a good example. So if they buy t-shirts for $5. What's wrong with selling computers? There's nothing wrong with selling computers, but then <laughs> we get into a whole bunch of different avenues, oh, okay. which I don't want to go. So if you're selling t-shirts, right, you buy t-shirts for $5, you sell the t-shirt for $10. You know, you didn't make $10 a profit. You made $5 a profit because that t-shirt cost me $5. So that $5 is what I'm going to, is what I'm going to uh, pay taxes on. Well, did you really spend, you know, did you really make $5? Because not only did you have the expenses for the t-shirt, you had the expenses for advertising, for, you know, maybe you had to pay an employee to go pick up the t-shirts. You had to pay, you know, a, an accountant to do your taxes. You had to pay, uh, you know, all sorts of other things. Uh, uh, I don't know. This is also uh, utilities for your home office. You know, you had to take a client out. So there's, and all that gets rolled into to your profit. And then finally, at the end of the day, you get your end profit how, to pay taxes on. How long can you not declare a profit and like still be like <laughs> cool with the IRS? So the IRS kind of says that if you make profit three out of five years that, and you're doing things to accurately pursue profit, then you're a business. Otherwise, they'll send you a nice little letter and they'll reclassify you as a hobby, which is not bad. I mean, you can still make money as a hobby. The, just the the deductions for what you can you can you can have are limited up to the income of the hobby, and you have to take them on a Schedule A instead of a Schedule C. So there's there's some differences there. But so that means for two full years, I could not declare a profit, but in the third year, I, I would have to. And I would have to do. I would have to have a profit for the next three years to remain in business. Yeah, yeah. So that's ex- that's exactly right. I mean, and then you can you can always say, "Hey, I'm doing all these things to make a profit," and they might still let you go as a business instead of just a hobby. You just would have to prove it. Because what what I think is really cool for for the people that are starting doing this thing, and and actually still for me is like I could be like. Yeah, well, I, I have this home office, and I, I had to sit my ass in this chair that I had to buy, and you know, I'm, I'm using a desk. And so you, you could literally just be earning and reinvesting the business for two years and, and amping it without paying taxes. Well, only if you, if you reinvested those earnings that you, that you gave. I mean, I guess the definition of reinvest. So if you actually purchased something to make you break even – then yeah, but if you didn't purchase anything to make you break even, just to kind of keep the money there, I mean, that's still profit because you don't have any expenses to offset the amount of money that you made. Right. So you actually have to be spending that money. If you wanna. <laughs> yeah, and then you see if the wheels turning in Andrew's brain. Well, I'm like, yeah, I guess I'll have to buy more books for my Amazon thing. I had I had to withdraw the money out of the bank uh, to use it as a paperweight to hold my door open. <laughs> that's an expense. <laughs> <laughs> The paper yeah, was a thousand dollars, but it was absolutely necessary for my business. 
you know, and, and, that, and that, that's, a, that's another thing, too, is, is there's like, like certain rules. So we talk a lot about home office deduction, right? And, and a, a home office deduction is, is kind of really tricky. So if you do have your own business or if you use a home office for, for your regular employee, you, there is a possibility to write it off. The only problem is you have to have the, the rule is regular and exclusive use of the home office for the business. So if you have uh, a desk with the, your computer on it and a TV or something and you partial you know work on your computer for for uh, business purposes then you use that same area to watch TV that's not regular and exclusive use so I'd be really apprehensive to let you ho- uh, deduct that home office expense if I, so if I have a studio apartment like I can't write off like a corner well you can but that corner has to be like don't throw your dirty clothes in that corner because now it's personal use that corner has to strictly be you know for business purposes you know and the only time that that rule kind of goes out the window is is with with inventory like if you have inventory and you have it like in a spare bedroom or something then then, then you can write that off but i mean those rules differ depending on everybody's circumstances so i could literally i could be in a studio apartment i could be running my amazon book um business right i'd be buying books selling them on amazon and i could just store all of the books in the corner of my studio apartment and, and you're saying that and that's literally all i do is i just store them there and then i go to the library to like sell them or something i could write off that corner of my apartment yeah you'd have to do a lot of math like if you have a 500 square foot apartment and it's you know two square feet what the percentages and then you know then you have to deduct like you know your rent how much you pay in rent so it's a lot of math that's why so you know. <laughs> i should, I so should let's stack say, them with wise not height wise <laughs> <laughs> so let's say I, i'm sending stickers out to people for my business i find every inch of apartment that i never step on and cover it in stickers <laughs> and call it storage <laughs> i really hope the irs isn't listening right now <laughs> <laughs> I just figure I'm going to buy 30 books, just put them back side to side, cover my floor in it. Well, the the one thing I am I wanting to ask my accountant, because uh, to make all my videos, I put my camera up on the bookshelf behind me, and then it's like the floor in front of me where I stand to like the backs to where my computer is. I like basically only use that for shooting videos, and like, I can't think of anything else I would ever do with that. So I'm wondering if I could like, partition that part of the floor that i use for shooting video as home office it 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 doesn't have to be like physically segregated from any other Mm. part of your house i mean you don't have to put like a piece of tape down and be like this is only for you know my house my business i mean Mm. but as long as it passes and there's some tests that that people can can research and, and things like that that you know if it's regular and exclusive so basically if you don't use it for anything else then chances are that it's probably a business so expense check this out so I'm, I'm looking at thomas through the video camera and behind him to oh his left is a tv and behind him to his right is a couch and you know so the right side of his room is his business side the left side is his fun side but the tv is on his business side so thomas would need to flip his couch and his tv well so what i was gonna do is just like measure around the tv mm. like that middle strip of the floor would be business because anna uses the tv and she sits on the couch but like all of this is basically business so, so your your home office at, i'm sorry your home office is like is like a mullet setup basically it's 
business in the front party in the back. That was so bad. <laughs> what? <laughs> that was the worst joke ever. No, oh, my, my, my room is more like a mohawk setup. I have like a strip in the middle for business and the rest of it is personal. So, Ooh, man, these bad jokes are just cracking <laughs> me my, up. My, com- my desk area is frustrating because like 95% of the time I use it for just business, but occasionally I'll play a game on it. So it's like, uh, not exclusive. But that like strip of floor and the where place where my lighting goes, that is all business. So, and, and then we'll I think you, you probably have to calculate the time that it's going to take you to measure all that stuff compared to the amount of money it's going to save you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. Because on uh, this financial life, right? You said your rent's like two hundred and sixty-five dollars. So that yeah, like, it's like three hundred oh, bucks. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah, so Tom, really is, Tom is like, and I wrote off thirty dollars this year for my home office. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, it, it might be something something to look into when we move. Because I would like to have a place that it's just my office, and then like a TV will be in a different room. So yeah, could then Thomas my, it, work out of his car and declare his car <laughs> as a home office? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> sorry, sorry, di- digressing there. I did see a picture of like startups like using storage containers as their their location. Really it's pretty cool. Well, like actually. the public, yeah. the the orange door storage things. Yeah, like the crate things that go on on ships. Oh, that's pretty. Yeah, awesome, it's kind of crazy. So, uh, I guess the one other question I had that we didn't talk about before was depreciation. So, say I buy a new computer. Right, why so- can't I just say I had to spend two thousand dollars for this computer? That's two thousand dollars off my taxes. Like, yeah, because the IRS isn't that nice. So. <laughs> so- so first of all, we'd have to say that that computer is strictly for business use and there's not right. going to be any personal use. So we're going to make that assumption. Um, and, and on top of that, so if you have buy a piece of equipment or something for your business that has you know, a useful life of more than one year there's, you know, and it's solely used for the business, you own it, there's, there's a few other different rules that, that go along with it, is you can't expense it in one year. You have to take it as a, a depreciation expense. And there's a table out there that'll tell you dep- like pretty much everything that you ever wanted to buy, you know, from desks to computers to tractors to, I mean, you name it, there's a depreciation schedule for it out there. So, um, just just know that as you as you start up your business and you you know you have startup costs and there's rules for startup costs too that we won't go into here but um, I mean definitely just just know that you know I spend five thousand dollars on a computer for my business today you know you might not be able to to offset your entire income by five thousand dollars this year okay so cool. so I want to kind of ask a question that maybe I should have asked in the beginning at the end. But for the for the people who are starting these businesses and and they're you know just starting maybe they're selling books at Amazon whatever like what what are like the initial concerns to get started you know like are are there roadblocks like if they're not doing this thing they're going to be screwed I mean can you literally just not do anything in your sole proprietorship and like it's all good and just whatever like what, you know how would you get them started. I mean, it's. I would definitely start with uh, knowing, you know, what type of business you would have, whether it's a business or a hobby. In addition to that, what's the likelihood that you would get sued? So, laying the foundation of your business structure. So, whether it's an LLC or a sole proprietorship or or a partnership or or S corp, 
is is really step one. You know, knowing because you know me, me, I'm a tax repair, so I have to buy you know uh, errors and emissions insurance. That's extremely important because if I get sued, you know, I want some, I want some protection. I don't I don't want me to have to go out alone. So the you know that's first and foremost. But in addition to that, I mean, your record keeping. I mean, is extremely important because when you go to accountant or even if you do it yourself on TurboTax or some other tax software, if you don't have good records, then your tax return is not going to be right. And you're potentially leaving your billion on the table. I want my billion. I want my billion back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I had it in the first place, but I want it back. If people are curious, they have more questions. Like, what are some resources they can hit up? Like, where should they go to kind of shore up those areas that are still not sure on? So, so like I said, so the IRS has done a decent job of putting out uh, things out there. So, you know, if you go on the IRS website or, and just type in, you know, business expenses and, and things like that, they can, you know, there's some, there's some resources out there for you. IRS.gov is, is pretty much uh, a, good, a good thing. Or, or go to your accountant. I mean, whoever your accountant is, you know, TurboTax and, and the tax software, they do, they do a decent job. But like we talked about on the first episode, you know, it's your basically when you do that stuff, it's your interpretation of the law that they put in front of you. So, you know, okay. you, you sell books for a living or do whatever you do for a living. You don't do taxes for a living. So it's there, there's a potential for some misinterpretation of the law there. Mm, OK, so check out IRS, accountant, things like that. Um, yeah. So I think that about wraps it up for this episode. Do you have anything else to mention, Andrew? Um, no, I think that's it. Just. um They've heard it before. When is this going out? This is going to be live on the 28th. Of January? Yes. Okay, so as you're listening to this, uh, five days from now, February 2nd at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, so 5.30 p.m. Pacific, California time, we're doing a webinar with Johnny. Um, All your tax questions, all those kind of things, we'll just kind of have like live Q&A sort of deal. Uh, I'll be there. Andrew will be there. Johnny will be there. So we're going to be there. Uh, Johnny will take the tax questions. If you guys have other questions, feel free to lob them at us in the webinar. We'll try to tackle them. Uh, If you want to get updated on this and stay reminded, then listenmoneymatters.com slash get involved or get dash involved, whichever one you want. Uh, They'll get you to the same page and you can sign up for our newsletter where we'll keep you reminded about the webinar. Send out a reminder email like the day before and the day of probably. So you can get in there get your questions answered um, because there are probably things that we did not think to ask here and it's always good to get more questions. So that's it for this episode. If you want other questions answered, you can always email us at listenmoneymatters at gmail.com in case you're listening to this after the webinar or you have a non-tax related question. You can also subscribe and get get involved over at that get involved page. Once again, listenmoneymatters.com slash get involved and you can leave a review if you want to help us climb the charts in iTunes and beat out the other financial podcasts that we're gunning for uh let's see here i'm gonna read a review real quick it says this is from or wait did i already read this one which <laughs> dave who <laughs> this podcast is where it's at these guys are realistic about financial situations they offer great advice and tons of knowledge dave ramsey better watch out it's from no too dope <laughs> like 15 o's i don't know if i've read that one before yeah, anyway. watch out, Dave. Yeah, <laughs> watch out, Dave. We're coming for you. Uh, if you want to get our favorite money management resources, budgeting tools, investing tools, books that we like, all that good stuff, head on over to listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. 
that's all we have for this episode. So thanks for hanging out with us, Johnny. Thanks for answering our questions. And uh, thank you to you, dear listener, for hanging with us today. We'll see you in the next episode. Later, guys. Later, man. Please tell your friends about this show. Thank <laughs> you.